Amen. Can we just praise God one last time? Send him some praise. We all need the strength that we can only find through Jesus Christ. And praise God. That's the God we serve. Take your Bibles. And this morning, would you please turn them to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, we're in a series called Beloved Identity. And as we've been working through the book of Ephesians, section by section, we have seen every single week the identity of a Christian. Uh, this, this, if you've been with us in this series, we are getting just so much doctrinal truth about your identity in Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you have repented of your sin and turned to Jesus Christ, you are now chosen by the Father, you are redeemed by the Son, you are sealed and empowered by the Holy Spirit, you've been given gifts, you've been lavished with gifts from the beloved, and you have a beloved identity. That is a, that is a truth that you have to hold on to. It's a truth that sets you free. It's a truth that uh, just frees you from feeling like you have to measure up, from feeling like you have to get things done and, and stand out, like these things that can wreck us sometimes and dominate the way we think and, and just hold us captive in our identity. Your identity, if you know Jesus Christ, is an adopted child of God. That's the beloved identity that we've been seeing. Is anyone excited about that today? Anyone? Yeah? I know. I mean, that's what we've been singing about, and that was so great, just to praise our Savior. That's who he's made us to be. He's chosen us. Last week, we started chapter 4 as we've been working through this book, and we, and we saw the second imperative command in Ephesians. If, if you remember chapters 1 through 3, all that doctrine about your identity, there was really only one direct command. Does anybody remember what that was? the one command in the first three chapters of Ephesians, it was remember that you were once far from Christ. That was the only direct imperative command we had. I mean, there was some prayers mixed in to realize our full identity, but the whole first three chapters were, this is who you are, this is what I've done for you, this is what I've made you to be, and remember, at one time, you were lost, you were dead in your sin, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, out of his kindness and his love, he saved you and made you something that you were never before. So from chapter 4 now, all the way to the rest of the book, we have the second command. The second command is now to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And now that we've taken our identity, our beliefs determine our identity, now our identity is going to drive our beliefs in our lifestyle. So today we're going to be seeing a very important piece of walking worthy of your calling. And it's going to sound a little obvious. It's going to sound basic to some of us. And too often it's just assumed that is, this is naturally happening. But it doesn't happen naturally. And it doesn't always happen immediately. And, and we should never assume that this is happening because it's not an automatic the thing that I'm talking about is growing up. It's maturing in Christ to fullness of maturity, becoming like Jesus Christ. We all know that if you coddle a child, if you always speak for them, you always make all the decisions, you completely shelter them from, like, reality, they're not going to grow up, right? 
We know that a 20-year-old physically doesn't necessarily make them emotionally and, and, and mentally mature, right? I mean, we've seen a lot of immature 21-year-olds, I'm sure, out there. Not, I'm not, if you're 21, I'm not trying to call you out or anything. But we have to take steps to grow in maturity. And in the same way, there are Christians in churches everywhere who maybe they've gone to church for a long time, but they've never spiritually matured. They haven't grown to the place where they need to be. And we're going to see that's because simply attending church isn't the only thing in the formula for growing in Christ, for becoming like Jesus Christ. There's more factors at play. Church attendance is just one piece of the pie. The end game of spiritual maturity is becoming like Jesus Christ. That's our goal. That's all of our goals. And it is a process. So as we get into this text, Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16, another thing that we're going to see right away that you really can't miss throughout it is it's not just an individual I need to mature. It's not just about me. It's about us. A big part of growing in your walk with Christ, becoming the kind of Christian who Jesus has called you to be, involves us not just the individual. It's not just my individual voice. It's not just my individual body development. A lot of this happens in a family. And at first, I was going to call this whole sermon growing into your body. But the more I looked at it, the more accurate way to say this would be to grow into the body. Grow into the body. So let's look at verse 11. We'll pick it up right where we left off last week. Ephesians 4, verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The first point today, the first way that you grow into the body, number one is do the work of the ministry. It's really that simple. This is one of the steps that we all take to become more like Jesus Christ. I read an article this week on Inc. Magazine, and it was about Jeff Bezos, the, the founder of Amazon. And Amazon has actually banned PowerPoint from their entire company. So if you work at Amazon, you will never again sit through a PowerPoint presentation. There's a lot of reasons Bezos did this. Uh, he's actually done a lot of research on it, but it's a fascinating article. I won't go into all of it. The long and short of it is PowerPoints take a lot of effort. They take a lot of time to make. They also slow everything down. They also make things a little more boring most of the time. 
And they also create more questions because as you're going through segment by segment, like one parcel of information after the next, people are like wondering, well, what, why this doesn't make sense? And they want to ask questions when that answer to that question is like three slides down the road, but it just slows the whole meeting down. So he says, no more PowerPoint. We're not doing that. Instead, we're going to give you a briefing document. So the first thing, any meeting in Amazon, everyone gets a briefing document. They have to silently read it for five minutes. And they know all the content that's going to go on in the meeting. And then the person who needs to talk starts talking. So it's, it's really a lot more efficient and practical, gets things done. People have applauded Jeff Bezos. Wow, good for you. You're so brilliant. You figured this out. Just get rid of PowerPoint. You're saving money. You're saving time. You're saving people frustration, all of the above. And just as revolutionary, in quote, as that was in the business world, look at this. Verses 11 and 12 are more so revolutionary for the church. This, it doesn't get any bigger, much bigger than this right here. Okay, we will be frustrated, we will be bored, we will, we will lose our minds if the church doesn't get verses 11 and 12. What does it say? It gives you my job description. It also gives you your role, your job description. Do you see what that is? Can you say it with me in verse 12? What is your, what is your calling to do as a church member? Say it with me to do the work of the ministry. So my job is to equip you. I'm a saint as well. I have a part to play, of course. But my big goal is to equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. And your job is to do the work of the ministry. This is so foundational that we get this straight. We will be frustrated. We will be bored. We will be disappointed if we don't get this. Do you see anything here about full-time or part-time? It's not there, right? It's, it's not there in the text at all. This is our identity that we're talking about, and we are all full-time. Every last one of us is a full-time minister of the gospel. Of course, there's a need for, I would say, a lot of times to have full-time vocational people. I would, I would be an advocate of that. I'd like to put food in my family's table for sure. Um, but just because we do have some full-time vocational ministers of the gospel doesn't mean that you're not full-time. We should all be full-time ministers of the gospel because that's part of our identity. So how do you obey this? And what does this practically look like? A, a, a simple illustration about this, just the spirit of this whole idea, is something that I've seen in our church the last few weeks. There's been, there's been a few people who have just brought donuts in uh, out of their own goodwill. They've been bringing in Krispy Kremes on Sunday mornings. This isn't coming out of the church budget. This is just somebody who's doing this. And my son Beckham asked me today, hey, Dad, why does so-and-so bring Krispy Kremes into church on Sunday now? And I said, well, it's like a teaching moment, right? So I'm like, well, Beckham, it's... It's because they love coming to church. They love hanging out with other Christians. They're excited about being here on Sunday to worship Jesus. And it's something they just want to do to celebrate Christ with their friends in Christ. And that's a, that's a small example just of the spirit of, I don't require the church to take their money out of their budget to do this. I'm not expecting coffee. I'm not going to complain about coffee when it's not there. I'm just going to be happy about being here, and I'm going to bring some donuts in. Of course, our church is going to buy donuts from time to time, and we do. We, as a church, we have to model this. I'm not saying we should never do anything. Of course we do, but that's the spirit of what we're talking about. 
We have to completely trash this idea that I pay the pastor to do his job. We pay the missionaries to go give the gospel. And if something needs to be done, we'll just hire somebody to do it. That's not the church. That's not the church at all. We don't just pay professionals to do the majority of the work. That's not found in Ephesians 4 and the least. So, as your pastor, am I the only one who should pray for people? No. Are the elders the only ones who should visit and speak truth uh, to help people who are struggling? No. Is Anna the only one who should sacrifice her time? Of course not. Is Brian the only one who should talk about Christ and witness and share the love of Jesus Christ? No. It's all of us in this room. We are all full-time ministers of the gospel. And I'm really thankful that the culture of our church, after one year, I, I, I can comfortably say we don't have this mentality. I, I believe everybody's rolling up their sleeves and ready to work and serve Christ. But, you know, as time goes on, as, as our church grows in the future, it's going to get more and more easy to just expect someone else to do it, to pay the professional to do it. And that creates a consumer mentality. So we have to all own this right now so that we don't slip into that, that trope. I have been in the churches that hire people for everything. The youth pastor did better do the youth pastor's job, and nobody even really is grateful for it because they just expect him to do his job. The, the pastor's wife better do her stuff. That's, that creates a culture where people get burned out and people become consumers. Just think about how much smaller the ministry of your church will be when 10% of the people do 90% of the work. You limit your effectiveness for the glory of God. The more of us who use our gifts, the greater God will be glorified through our church. People won't be stretched so thin when everyone takes their calling seriously. When we all use our gifts to pray with one another, to invite people to life groups, to teach kids, to counsel teens, to encourage the least of those in our culture, in our communities, we are all called to do that. So churches don't need professionals driving them and, and running them. Churches need people who are saints, the people of God on mission for the glory of God. That is part of your identity. So the question is, like, are you available? You're putting yourself out there. Because believe me, our church will find a place for you to serve. There's no question about that. And we don't overdo it either. We, we try to keep our church very simple, doing the main things on Sunday morning, right? We're not the type of church that is going to have a huge, ginormous trunk or treat activity where we spend tons of hours and time and energy and just bring people into church and, and the majority of that is just an in-house thing for Christians. Instead, we're like, no, stay in your home, stay in your neighborhood, because this is like the one time of the whole year that lost kids who don't go to church anywhere are actually going to be knocking on your door, and you can actually share the love of Jesus Christ right there. That's what I'm trying to say is we're not a program-driven church. We're not going to build our church and grow our church off of big, grand events. There's things for us to do, of course, in the community, but I want you to serve the Lord simply with the gifts that he's given you in the church. And the thread of this thought in verses 11 and 12, it starts back in verse 7, where Jesus gave you gifts of grace. And going back to our example of Christ, Jesus Christ didn't come down to earth 
here I am. I'm the king. Serve me. Did Jesus come that way? Not at all. He came to serve and to give gifts to men and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ is a servant leader. And if service is beneath you, I've heard it said this way, if service is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. It starts with serving Christ, using the gift that he has given you. God will give you the platform you need when you simply open yourself up and say, God, I'm willing to serve you wherever, wherever you need me. The leaders of the church, most pastors I know, spiritual leaders in churches, they all started, even people that have big stages, they all started holding the door. They started in the pre-K room. They started helping do the grounds and the facilities. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. And what happens when the saints work together and serve God with their gifts? Well, look at the second half of verse 12. Right there in the text, what happens? When we do that, when we serve, when we do the work of the ministry, it builds up the body of Christ. This is the formula that God has built into this. And here's the second point. The second point today, number two, attain the unity of faith. Verse 13 gives us two results of doing the work of the ministry. You can see there the first one is attaining the unity of faith. Uh, when you are serving, you're going to do that. You're going to build that up with the rest of the body. And the third, and the, the third point, and it's really the second piece here, is that you also attain the knowledge of the Son of God. You're doing both those things, and that'll be the, the third point, of course, because we'll, we'll just work through the text here. But to back up on this one, don't miss that when we are serving with our gifts, with our individual gifts, we're also building up the entire body of Christ. This is the way we build each other up. The body of Christ is like a symphony orchestra in many ways. All right, we all have a sound, we all have a, a unique instrument to play. And if we're alone, well, okay, it sounds fine, right? Violin on its own, that sounds pretty good most of the time. But when you combine it with all the other instruments, then you really got something on your hands. If we're all on the right note, we're in harmony with the correct key, following the conductor, Jesus Christ, right, in this illustration, it's going to sound amazing. But if one of those oboes has a bad day and that oboe player drops out, the rest of the, the, rest of the, the orchestra can carry that for a while. The oboe section may notice it. And maybe even the section next, next to the oboes, the piccolos, will probably like feel that too. And they, it doesn't sound quite right to them. But we'll still go through with what we need to do. If you have someone who just goes rogue, like say the percussionist just wants to do his own solo in the middle of the whole thing, that's, that's a problem big problem, but you have to play your part, play your piece. Jump down to verse 16 here for a second. Verse 16, this, this intertwines perfectly, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Do you see the work there in verse 16 as well, the work of the ministry piece? When we are equipped, we're working properly, we're held together by the joints, we're unified. And that makes the body grow and build itself up in love. We talked about unity a lot last week. And as a matter of fact, we've talked about unity a lot throughout this whole series. 
uh, not just last week, but you could read the entirety of chapter 3. Unity is just laced throughout chapter 3. But we talked about how unity is not our default. If you don't do anything and just let things ride, what do we naturally tend to fall into? Disunity. We have to be, as what la- the, the verses last week, verses 2 and 3 in chapter 4, we have to be eager to maintain unity. We have to go after unity. We have to be intentional about keeping unity. And what we saw there at the beginning of this chapter, bearing with one another in love, being eager to maintain unity with gentleness and patience, giving people bear hugs sometimes and just not letting them go, that's what it takes when you're building up the body, when you're building each other up in love. Attaining unity is a key component of growing up in the body. And in a way, it's, it's like having a driver's license. Spiritually speaking, it's like having a driver's license. Like, if you don't have your driver's license, you're still going to be pretty dependent on mom and dad. Okay? You know, you're, not, you're still a few years out of the house because they have to drive you to work. They have to drive you everywhere. But once you attain that driver's license, you got those keys, and now you're unified. And when you start working and serving together, you're actually going to start practicing these things of patience and gentleness. And you're going to build each other up. And if you lose your keys, it's, it's, like, it's like harder to get to work, right? It's harder to have joy in the job. And, and it's going to be more difficult to enjoy. When you serve together, you are put in a position where you have to practice humility, you have to practice gentleness, patience, and you have to bear with one another in love. Look back to the second half of verse 13 with me. Second half of verse 13 building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the fullness of Christ. Yes, the main point of this entire passage is to mature into the likeness of Jesus Christ, Christ likeness. That's, that's, that's our end game goal. But the third way we do that right here is to learn the truth. Learning the truth. Look, let's keep reading. Verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We have to learn the truth. And children are more gullible than adults, right? They just are. On Thursday night, after my kids came home from trick-or-treating, they dumped their buckets of candy out on the ground. They're sorting out their candy, and, you know, I'm teaching them what some of these candies are. This is a baby Ruth. I'm describing baby Ruths. Like, they, 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 my boys are, like, in heaven. They're so excited. And then they, like, pulled this candy out. Oh, what's this one, Dad? And Beckham's, like, into reading. So he grabs this out of Paxson's hands. He's like, it's a jawbreaker. And he's like, jawbreak, jawbreaker? I'm like, yeah, it's a jawbreaker. And Pax is like, oh, wow, jawbreaker? Great. What, are, what is a jawbreaker, Dad? And I'm explaining, well, hey, you don't want to put a jawbreaker in your mouth and bite it. You just want to suck it. Well, what happens if you bite a jawbreaker? Well, you'll break your jaw. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't resist, right? And then I'm like, no, I'm just kidding. You won't actually break your jaw, but it'll really mess up your teeth, so you don't want to do that. But, I mean... Kids are gullible. They're going to believe things that we tell them. 
spiritually speaking, infants in Christ, people who haven't walked with Jesus Christ for very long, you know what? It's easy to be swayed and to believe somebody who says something that sounds great, but it's not actually true. And we have to be on guard against that. We have to be aware of that. There are a lot of foul winds blowing out there that wave the flag of Christ that aren't accurate, that are actually a distortion of the faith. There are some weird people who have the name tag Christian. There are legalists. There are people who abuse grace. There are cults. There are all kinds of of weird cousins and nephews in, in the whole realm of Christendom that don't all know Jesus Christ. And sometimes people sound really sharp and really good. And I mean, maybe that preacher on TV sounds great. Maybe that hilarious female author, they all tickle the ears. But we have to be careful about knowing if it's true or if it's truth mixed with error. And how do you spot a counterfeit? Every single time, what do you do? You study the real thing, right? The original. That's the only way you can truly spot a counterfeit. So you, as saints who are called to do the work of the ministry, who are also called to grow and mature into the body, to become more like Jesus Christ, it's your responsibility to study the word of God. It's your responsibility to ask questions. It's your responsibility to know the truth, to discuss it with other people in Bible studies, in life groups, to read the Bible, to memorize the Bible, to meditate on the Bible. That's, that's our job, actually. 2 Timothy 5.15 says, study to show yourself approved, a worker who needs not to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. That's part of who we need to be in Christ, to become a spiritually mature Christian who's owning their identity in Christ. I had uh, somebody in our church ask me a little while ago about this show on Netflix. It was called The Family, and it's a perfect illustration of this. It's this family, I mean, it's a seven-part documentary on Netflix. You really only need to watch the first episode because the rest of them are pretty redundant after that. But it's about this family that organizes the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington, D.C. And when you really listen there to what this family is teaching, they, they, of course, claim to be Christians, but there's some problems because they've created Jesus Christ in the image of something that they want Jesus Christ to be like. In their image of Jesus Christ, he comes for only the powerful, only the world leaders, influential people, and those are the people we have to reach. Does that sound like what Jesus Christ came to do? Not at all. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to the lowest of the low, right? So when you're out there trying to discern what is true, what is error, listen to what they say about Jesus. Is, are they crafting him into something that they desire Jesus to be? Because people will distort our Messiah in so many different ways. Another way that you need to honestly check and see if this is true or if this is untrue, what do they say about sin? This is an easy way to spot a cult because they're going to, they're going to, you know, it's okay, whatever. It's, of course, it's bad, but they, but they don't say your sin separates you from God. Your sin is keeping you from the fulfillment of who God is creating you to be. You may think sin is fun, but sin is holding you back from God's promise. It's messing up your identity. You need to repent of your sin, turn from your sin, and go to Jesus Christ. 
check very carefully what they say about Jesus very closely and listen what are they saying about sin and you will know this is either truth or this is either error. It's your responsibility to educate yourself and learn the truth. And back in verse 15, this is where we see the fourth and final way, back in verse 15 of Ephesians, that you grow into the body. If you're doing the work of the ministry, if you're bearing with one another in love, you're endeavoring to maintain unity, you're in the word, you're soaking it in, there is a natural byproduct of, of all of those things, and it's verse 15. Speak the truth in love. Look at verse 15 with me. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. It's so, so good. This is what we have to get. This is how we grow into our bodies. You know, babies have really big heads compared to the rest of proportionally to the rest of their body, right? And even as kids, eventually your head stops growing as fast as your arms and your legs. That's just natural. Physically, our head doesn't need to keep growing forever. And spiritually, you need to start flexing those other muscles and start serving and loving others and not just soaking information in. You can't just take in, take in, take in, take in without giving something back out. Because a really terrible thing happens. You become a big-headed Christian. And big-headed Christians don't accomplish much for the kingdom. They're usually judging other people and patting themselves on the back with pride. Of course, you always want to keep learning. I'm not, I'm not trying to down knowledge. Of course, that was just our last point. Learn the truth. There's, there's always something more to be learning. I'm for that. We're all pro that. But you have to do something with that. And when you actually are filled with the truth, you're going to want to speak the truth in love. It's super important that you also do that. Christ is the head of the body, the church. And you can't miss, this is, this is another way as we grow into the body, we have to speak the truth in love. Last week we saw specifically how you do that, right? Again, we saw how to do that. It was with humility. It's with gentleness. It's with patience. If you're not coming at that conversation with someone and you don't have those three things, you may as well not come at all because it won't be received well. It won't be received at all. But if you see someone making destructive decisions, if you love them, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to speak the truth in love. I mean, we live in a world where People will tell you, if you love me, just tell me what I want to hear. Isn't that the way our world is? Like, if you love me, don't you dare tell me something that I don't like. Because if you love me, you're going to affirm me and you're going to be 100% behind every single one of my crazy ideas. That's really the way it is. But the Bible says, if you truly love someone, you're going to actually speak the truth to them. What is the truth? Well, the truth is God's word, right? That's, that's where we have to be. And we can't, we have to check our motives, of course. Check your motives, please. If you're coming at it and you're trying to speak the truth to someone and it's just because you want to get them up to speed with you and you think, oh, they're not quite where they need to be and, and I, I need to help them get here right now this way, you're probably not coming at it with gentleness. 
you're probably not coming at it in the right way with patience. But if you're coming at it with a sense of, I love you and I see that you're doing something that's actually going to be able to hurt you. Let me put my arm around you and kind of share, this is what God's word says. Do you see the difference there? Speaking the truth in love. This is the way we are told Jesus Christ, our Savior, lived his life. John 1.14. I'm going to put that one up here for you. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Isn't that good? See, some Christians are all truth. It's truth, 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 and they're missing grace. Some people are all grace, and it's I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and they're missing the truth part, and their love is actually falling short because they're not telling them the truth that they need to hear. We have to have a balance of both truth and grace. And it does go back to your motives. Every layer of humility, patience, and gentleness that you bring into this is going to make it that much more receivable. It's following what Ephesians 4 outlines. All right, worship team, if you want to come up here, this will be a good time for that. Uh, As we close, we got one more verse here. I'll read it again. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How many of you remember the old Toys R Us commercials? Anyone out there? I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Yeah. Thank you. I'm not, I'm not a member of the worship team, so you can probably tell that. But I, I loved Toys R Us as a kid. Growing up in the 90s, I mean, that was the place to go. My grandpa would take me, my sister, my cousins to Toys R Us and say, you could pick out one toy. They had everything there. It was a children's fantasy land. And I would go to the G.I. Joe aisle and look at every single possible G.I. Joe that was available and just stand there the whole time and try to pick it out. Being a Toys R Us kid, I I was truly that way, right? I didn't want to grow up. And as a dad now with with some kids, a couple little boys, and one day Monroe wants some toys. Like, I take joy. I, I enjoy buying gifts for kids. I really do. And it actually pulled on my heartstrings a little bit when I heard the news a few months ago. Did you guys hear the news? Toys R Us is closing, going bankrupt? Like, no, don't, not Toys R Us. That's one of the memories of my childhood, not Toys R Us. Well, what happened with Toys R Us there when you, when you like, go into that? into that. Well, it's the Jeff Bezos, those ruthlessly efficient Amazons of the world, the online marketplace, who just had a new format, and those big mega stores, those bastions of American capitalism, Toys R Us's all across the country, they bled money for too long. They had to change. They had to adopt. All right? Well, Toys R Us, believe it or not, is run by adults. So Toys R Us did make a change. And their parent company is actually going to partner with them, and they're actually going to open up a new toy shop experience. It's going to be more like yesteryear where you go into a small toy shop and you have more of an experience. It's not just like Walmart for toys anymore because that's just not a practical business model. They probably are running too many PowerPoint presentations in their meetings. But let's move on from that, right? 
But here's the thing. Toys R Us changed. They adapted because they're full-grown adults. And as Christians, we love receiving gifts. Any, any child loves receiving gifts. But there comes a point when you have to start building up the body in love. You have to stop just being a Toys R Us kid, and you have to actually become someone who gives gifts, uses your gifts, and starts serving people. Don't be a Toys R Us kid for the rest of your life. Become a gifts are us adult and share your gifts. Give your gifts. Use your gifts to serve the body of Christ. In the process, you're going to become more like Jesus Christ. You're going to build up the body with love. It's all about growing into the body. Jesus Christ is the head. And as we do the work of the ministry, as we attain unity and do all those practical things, as we learn the truth and speak the truth in love, we are becoming someone who shows the love of Christ. Let's all stand up. I'm going to pray. Father in heaven, I know so many of us in here are walking through tough times. And sometimes it's not easy to change. I mean, there's definitely times, Lord, in our lives where we are in the valley, we've hit bankruptcy, and we know we have to change. Some of us are probably there. You're the answer, Lord. There's also some of us in this room right now, Lord, who are probably doing great. And we're not necessarily even living for you. Things are going so well. But Lord, show us right now. Convict us right now for those of us who are in that place that there is a fall coming, that it's not going to coast smoothly forever and that every single one of us need to live out our true identity in you. For those of us who don't know you, Lord, convict them right now. Now is the time for them to comp confess and repent of their sins. Lord, for those of us who know you, who haven't just necessarily been living for you, we've been enjoying the good gifts, we haven't really been serving and giving out any, any gifts on our own, Lord, may today be the day that we change. Lord, use your Holy Spirit to convict us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.